uh, Daniel chapter 4. This is such a rich uh, chapter and it took us a little bit of time to get through it at 9.30. We're going to go a little quicker though here uh, for this service. But Daniel chapter 4, here's what's taking place. King Nebuchadnezzar reaches a point where he is truly humbled before God. And he truly turns to God in a genuine way. And we start chapter 4. And remember last week we talked about the fiery furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar, he kind of ends a chapter with him saying that there's no other God. Or no one, should, no one can speak against the, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because theirs is the one true God. And so we think like, oh, there's this great change of heart right after that. But that's actually not so. That wasn't genuine. And we know that because in chapter 4 here, this is about 20 years later. This is 20 years later. And chapter 4 is Nebuchadnezzar's own, um, his own testimony. Of him talking about how God brought him to this point that we're going to read about in the first three verses. Here's what it says, chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar the king unto all the people, nations and languages that dwell in all of the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I thought it good to show you the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought towards me. How great are his signs. And lo, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And his dominion is from generation to generation. So Nebuchadnezzar is praising God. He's saying God's kingdom, the one true God, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And, and Nebuchadnezzar is praising God. But, but remember, this isn't immediately after the fiery furnace. This is 20 years later. Nebuchadnezzar is now going to tell us how he reached this point. Here's what's going to happen. Nebuchadnezzar is going to have another dream. Like, and we see this. God keeps pursuing Nebuchadnezzar. God keeps revealing things to him by these dreams. And then Daniel interprets these dreams and what they mean. And this is what's going to happen again. So in verse number four, I, Nebuchadnezzar... I was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. So, in other words, all is well. He looks around and he's conquered everyone. There's not really any immediate threats and even the threats that might be threats. They're not going to get into Babylon. This wall, we'll talk next week a little bit about how fortified that Babylon was. Because next week we're going to learn about Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, Belshazzar, who is going to be reigning and how God is going to immediately bring in the Medes and Persians to judge Babylon. But here at this time, Nebuchadnezzar's at peace. He's at rest. He's conquered everybody. He's got all the wealth imaginable. His, his was known as the kingdom of gold because he would conquer nations and take their gold. Nebuchadnezzar's at peace. In fact, we learn from other secular historians about, you've heard of the hanging gardens. Nebuchadnezzar had just this lush hanging gardens that he brought into Babylon. And, and historians say that it was Nebuchadnezzar's wife that hated that region of the desert and she wanted some greenery. And so 
Nebuchadnezzar, as crazy as he was, as, as many bad decisions as he made, this was a good decision. You know, his girl wanted something, and he got it for her. And he brought in these hanging gardens in Babylon, and it was just beauty all around. Everything was well. And now God's going to trouble him again. God's going to reveal truth to him. So Nebuchadnezzar is going to have this dream that it's going to trouble him. He says, I saw a dream which made me afraid. And the thoughts upon my bed and the visions of my head, they troubled me. So God's going to give him this dream. We're going to look at this dream here in a moment. But the important thing we see here is God keeps pursuing him. And the thing about it is this, like, um, maybe you can relate. Like, maybe you've never personally, like, just completely surrendered to God and trusted in him. But yet you see God's working in your life. You see God keeps pursuing. You see God is still working. And, and that's what we see here. It's through this dream. Now, sometimes, I don't know if you have ever had this question yourself. Or maybe someone has brought this question to you about here in this modern day about what about the people who've never heard of Christ? What about the people in, in remote places of the country where they've never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and they don't know even about the one true God? You know, is that really fair that they've never heard? So a couple things about that I think it's really important that we know and understand. First of all, it's this, that, that we, as humans, as, um, as individuals, we are condemned before a holy, righteous God because of our sin. It's not just, well, we haven't heard the gospel or haven't heard of salvation. The reality is we're condemned because we have sinned and we're rebels against a holy and a righteous God. And I don't think we really want to go down the road of what's fair. Because what's fair is that none of us would ever get to heaven. None of us would ever get to be in the presence of a holy, righteous God. But also another important thing that we must understand is this. You and I don't know how God is pursuing people. And how God's even revealing himself to people. Now God has revealed truth through his word. And we have the word of God and people's experiences are never going to be contrary to the word of God. If it's truly from God, if it's an experience or some spiritual, um, spiritual experience that they have, that is something that we see. No, that goes against what God says in his word. Well, we know that that experience may be true, but it's not from God. See, it's more than just us and God. There's Satan and demons that are at work. And many times, I think that we fail to recognize that. That there is truly spiritual warfare and battle that's taking place. And we need to be aware of that. But the reality is, we don't know how God is working. Here, this pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar, he keeps having these dreams. And God's revealing truth. God is speaking to him. God's pursuing him. And so what does he do when he has this dream? He does what he always does. He makes this decree and he goes to his wise men. He goes to his, his cabinet and he says, verse six, I made a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me that they can make known to me the interpretation of the dream. 
And so then came in the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers. I told them the dream, but they didn't make known the interpretation. Now, some have suggested that they may have known what this dream meant, but they were too afraid to tell them what it meant. But Nebuchadnezzar, he goes, he keeps repeating the same cycle. He goes to the people that can't really help him. He goes to the people that can't really offer him a word that means anything. And, and I see this so often. And I see this so often even in our own life. Like we know the source that we can go to for answers. We know that we can go to God and through his word. But many times we treat God as the last resort instead of the first priority. This is what Nebuchadnezzar keeps doing. He calls in his crew and they can't help him. They have no power to help him. But he knows that there's a man of God named Daniel. He knows this because Daniel has interpreted dreams for him. He knows this because Daniel is a man of God. Nebuchadnezzar knows this. So what does he do? But at the last, Daniel came in before me. Again, that just baffles me. That he, he seeks everyone and everything but the very person that can really give him hope and help. Because Daniel has the spirit of God in him. Belshazzar said, or, or, or King Nebuchadnezzar says, look, there was the one whose name was Belteshazzar according to the name of my God. So Nebuchadnezzar says, I brought in, this is again, this is Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. He says, I go to Daniel I named him Belteshazzar after my God. He says, but I know the spirit of the holy gods is in him. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar knows there's something spectacular about Daniel. That Daniel's God actually can reveal things. And he says, oh, Belteshazzar, master of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in thee and no secret troubleth thee. He says, tell me the visions of my dream. That I have seen and the interpretations thereof. So he goes to Daniel. The one that he knows can give him the true answer. The one that has the spirit of God in him. And may I just say this. Like before we move on. Look there's people in your life. That maybe they're not believers. And maybe they don't know the Lord. And maybe sometimes like. They're a little bit hesitant to ask you. Or come to you for advice. Because maybe they know what you're going to tell them. Or maybe it's like they're trying and pursuing everything else out there first. But know this, like, that, that if you are a believer, you're a man of God or a woman of God, that you have the Holy Spirit in you. And, and God is going to be, not that there's anything special about you or about me, but it's what God has done in us, what the Holy Spirit can do in us. And so Nebuchadnezzar knows this about Daniel. So here's the dream. Verse number 10. He says, thus were the visions of my head in the bed. I saw and behold a tree. This tree, he said, it's in the midst or the middle of the earth. And the height thereof was great. He said, the tree grew and it was strong. And the height reached heaven. And the sight thereof to all the ends of the earth. The leaves were fair. The fruit was much. And it says it was meat for all. The beasts of the field had shadow under it. They had shelter under it. The, the fowls or the birds of heaven, they dwelt in it. And, and all the flesh was fed of it. 
And he says, I saw in my visions, behold, a watcher, a holy one came down from heaven. So this is an, some type of angelic being. This is, this is God dispatching a messenger is what we think. It is a, a powerful angelic being. And, and like I said, it's more than just us and God. That there are angels. That there are also Satan and demons. There's spiritual warfare that takes place. And many times we fail to recognize just how much of that is going on. And here Nebuchadnezzar in this vision, he says this watcher, this angelic being. He says he's coming down and, and he says he cried and he says, hew down or chop down the tree and cut off his branches, shake off his leaves and scatter the fruit and let the beasts get away from under it and the fowls uh, from his branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump and his roots in the earth even with a band of iron and brass in the tender grass of the field and let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let the portion be with the beasts and the grass of the earth. So his dream is this huge tree. This tree, this tree is, is a tree that is prominent. It's beautiful. It's plenteous. It, it's, it's powerful. It's providing shelter. And what happens is this. Here's the troubling part. In the dream, Nebuchadnezzar says this. The, a watcher or a holy one comes down, commands that this tree be chopped down, that this tree be cut down. And this is troubling to him because he doesn't know what this means. This powerful tree is coming down. And he says, but the stump's going to be left. And around this stump is going to be brass and iron. There's going to be chains around the stump. He's going to leave the stump. And, and Nebuchadnezzar's troubled by this. He doesn't know what this means. And he says that, that his heart is going to be changed from a man's heart to a beast's heart. And until seven times or seven years pass. He says this matter is by the decree of the watchers. And the demand by the word of the holy ones. To the intent that the living may know that the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men. And giveth it to whomsoever he will. And setteth it up over the basis or the lowest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. He says, now, Belteshazzar, or Daniel, declare the interpretation thereof. He says, my wise men of my kingdom, they're not able to make known to the interpretation. But you are, Daniel. He says, but thou art able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in thee. So Nebuchadnezzar knows Daniel can interpret this. Daniel can give him truth. He's troubled by this. So what does this mean? So Daniel, verse 19, then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, he was astonished, or he was astonished for an hour. And his thoughts were troubled. And he spake and said, or then spake and said, Belteshazzar, or Daniel, let not the dream or the interpretation trouble thee. And Belteshazzar answered and he said, my Lord, the dream be to them that hate thee. And the interpretation to thine enemies. So Daniel, Daniel's just a straight shooter. Like Daniel has this confidence and boldness to tell Nebuchadnezzar the hard things. To tell him the truth. None of his other crew and cabinet is willing to do this. But Daniel is. So we see like Daniel has wisdom and prudence. Daniel's not just this loose cannon that goes around trying to pick fights with people. But when it comes down to it, 
Daniel's going to be a straight shooter. Daniel's going to tell Nebuchadnezzar what the truth is. And he says, Nebuchadnezzar, the interpretation of this dream, it's to the people that hate you. It's to your enemies. In other words, this is not good news for you. And this troubles Daniel, knowing what this means for Nebuchadnezzar. Knowing, and, and maybe he's troubled because he truly loves and cares for Nebuchadnezzar now. Maybe he's troubled just, again, not really knowing how Nebuchadnezzar is going to react. But Daniel's going to be honest with him. He says, the tree, verse 20, that you saw, which grew and was strong, whose height reached to heaven, whose leaves were fair and, and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, upon whose branches the fowls of the heaven had their habitation. He said, that, that tree, king, it's you. God's going to bring you down. He said, thou art the grown, you've grown, you've become strong. Your greatness has grown and you've reached unto heaven, the dominion to the end of the earth because Nebuchadnezzar had conquered so many people. He was powerful. He, he was wealthy. Daniel said, that tree that's grown, God's bringing you down. He says that the, the king, you saw a watcher, the holy one come down from heaven saying, Hew or chop the tree down, destroy it, yet leave the stump and the roots thereof in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass in the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven times or seven years pass. He said, so here's the interpretation. This is the, the, the decree of the Most High. Hey, King Nebuchadnezzar, you like to make decrees? You like to let your voice be heard and your commands be heard? Well, there's a decree that's coming from someone above you. And what this decree is, this is what will happen, Nebuchadnezzar. He says you're going to be driven, verse 25, from men. He says you're going to live with the beasts of the field. In other words, he's telling him, Nebuchadnezzar, you are going to go crazy. You are going to act and live like an animal. God is going to, God is going to, God is, go, is going to make you go mad. He's going to make you go crazy. Until when? He said, till thou know, verse 25, that the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men. And he gives it to whosoever he will. He said, God's bringing you down so you know. That God's in charge. That God has elevated you and God will bring you down. He says, but look, they're going to leave the stump and the roots. Your kingdom's going to be sure. And now until you know that the king of heaven rules. So in other words, he's saying, Nebuchadnezzar, God's going to bring you down for seven years. But then he's going to give the kingdom back to you. It, the, the, the chains like the, of, of brass and, and iron that were around this stump. Many times you look at brass like or bronze like it's a symbol of the judgment of God, which is what is happening here. But it also seems like this chains around this stump is God telling him, I'm going to hold the kingdom for you. No one's going to take it. Now, here's what's important to know. This would never happen. This, things like this didn't happen. 
when a ruler would die or be, you know, would, would be assassinated or would, would just pass away maybe in battle or natural causes, it was cutthroat for who was going to be the next in line. I mean, man, there was, there, there's treachery, there's, there's, there's uh, all this planning of, of who's going to be the next one. And, but that's not going to happen here. God's going to hold the kingdom for seven years. And here's what's interesting. You know what's recorded of in, about Babylon from secular sources during this seven years? You know what happens in Babylon is recorded about the accomplishments? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing happens spectacular. Which would be exactly what we would expect. Because in the Chronicles, where you pe kings would write and people would talk about their accomplishments, they would highlight the things that happened. So it would make sense that there's not, nothing really written about these seven years. In fact, there's a historian in uh, 286 BC. This is a secular historian. The only thing he says about Nebuchadnezzar, it says that during this time, he was possessed by some god. And he immediately disappeared for this season of time. This is a secular historian from 286 BC. And what happens is, Daniel says, Nebuchadnezzar, here's what's going to happen. God's going to make you go crazy because you think you've done all this. You think you're the one in charge, but you're not. There's a decree that's coming from someone higher than you, and God is going to cut you down. You are this tree that's coming down. You're going to live like a madman. You're going to live like the animals for seven years, Nebuchadnezzar. Is the stump's going to remain, though. God's going to give you back the kingdom. In verse 28, he says, Wherefore, O king? Let my counsel be acceptable unto you or unto thee and break off thy sins by righteousness and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. He said, it may be that there's a lengthening of your, of your tranquility, a lengthening of your peace. In other words, here's what Daniel says to him. This is the interpretation. God's bringing you down. Nebuchadnezzar, break off your sin by doing righteousness. In other words, turn from what you're doing. Turn from how you're living. Humble yourself before God. Show mercy to people. God, once again, is being gracious. He's giving Nebuchadnezzar a space to repent. God is patient. But all these things, they came to pass upon Nebuchadnezzar. And here's what just baffles me. Until I recognize how much I do this in my own life. He says, at the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. In other words, after Daniel tells him what's going to happen, you know what Nebuchadnezzar does? Nothing. He keeps doing what he's always been doing. And man, isn't that just like us? Like God is merciful. God is patient. But sometimes we can be just as stubborn as Nebuchadnezzar. And it takes God bringing us down. And know this, anytime that God humbles us, and I have to say this, guys, just because something bad happens in life doesn't mean God's judging you. Now, sometimes it could. Sometimes it is God like this getting our attention. But look, something bad that happens doesn't mean God's angry with you and punishing you. 
right? We live in a fallen world. Sometimes God actually brings those things not because of anything wrong we've done, but he's sanctifying us. He's growing us. But there are some times God does bring us down to show us that he's the one that's given us the strength. He's the one that's given us the ability. He's the anything good that we see happen. It's from him. We better praise him. We better acknowledge it comes from God. But Nebuchadnezzar just continued. Yet God was patient. Now sometimes we see God's judgment come swiftly. We're going to look at that next week because Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, Belshazzar, is going to throw this wild party and is going to like mock everything spiritual, going to mock the, 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 what they brought and carried away from the temple, the vessels that were from the temple. And he's going to be super just blatantly sacrilegious and arrogant. And God's going to give him over to the Medes and Persians that very moment. But here, God's given Nebuchadnezzar another year. And you know what he does? He's walking around his palace, looking at all that he's built. That's exactly what it says. He says at the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and he said, is not this great Babylon that I have built by, by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? And while that word was in his mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, a voice above his voice. A, a, a voice that was more a decree more powerful than his decrees. It says, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee. In other words, he says, God is bringing you down. He says, and you're going to drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And they're going to make you to eat grass like the oxen. He says, till thou knowest the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. Now, this is an important truth for us because sometimes we can get really, really worked up over who's in charge and who's in office and who's, who's the one that's making the laws. Know this, it's who God has put there. Now, that doesn't mean we don't care about political issues that doesn't mean that we just live like flippantly. Like that's not how Christians are supposed to live. Like we actually should be involved and it matters. It matters. But know this, ultimately God's the one in charge. Sometimes God puts leaders in charge just because it's him just, it's his judgment. God allows people to be, and that's what, exactly what he did here. Nebuchadnezzar. God allowed him to carry Judah captive. God put him in charge as a sign of the judgment of God. Ultimately, we can put our head on our pillow at night knowing this. God is in charge of whoever thinks they're in charge. God's over it. And Nebuchadnezzar got to the point where he realized it. He says, the same hour the thing was fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men. Check this verse out. It says, he did eat grass as the oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till the hair was grown like eagle's feathers, and his nails like bird's claws. 
I mean, he literally went crazy. He lost his mind and was acting and living like an animal where he didn't even know how to take care of himself and, and have proper hygiene. He lived like an animal. He lived like a madman for seven years. And at the end of days, see, the story doesn't end there. It could have, and God would have been perfectly just, but it didn't end there. God changed Nebuchadnezzar's heart. God brought him so low so he would look up. At the end of days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned to me. And so what did he do? I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that lives forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth nothing according, or he, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay his hand or, or say unto him, what doest thou? He said, at the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, mine honor and brightness returned to me, and my counselors and my Lord sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. God gave him back that kingdom for a space of time. He says, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, I praise and extol honor, and I honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth and whose ways are judgment. Those that walk in pride, he is able to abase, or he is able to bring down. Wouldn't this be refreshing to hear a politician get up and say something like this? Wouldn't it be refreshing to hear some humility and some reliance and dependence upon God? And God brought Nebuchadnezzar to this place. God brought him there. God humbled him so he would recognize all of these things came and come from God. What an amazing account. What an amazing account we see here of God humbling in God changing Nebuchadnezzar. So we'll conclude. We need to look at a few things. We'll highlight a few things from this passage and then we're done. Number one is we see this. God pursues us. God's pursuing you. Like you may feel like, man, I am too far gone. But God's pursuing you. God keeps pursuing Nebuchadnezzar. God keeps bringing these visions and these dreams. God has placed Daniel in Babylon and he keeps pursuing after him. Why? Because of his patience. God is patient with us. Not only does God pursue us, but God is patient. God gives Nebuchadnezzar chance after chance after chance. Even after Daniel tells him, here's what's going to happen he gave him another 12 months. But Nebuchadnezzar continued down that path. God is patient. Not only is, does God pursue us, but God is patient with us. Next we see this. Humble yourself or God will humble you. Humble yourself or God will humble you. See, we either bow humbly or one day we'll bow to him in humiliation. And maybe God's dealing with you in this now because... Maybe you, you've reached a point in life where maybe you're like Nebuchadnezzar and you just feel like, hey, look around. I've done everything right. And now I'm just enjoying all these things. Nothing wrong with that. 
unless we don't acknowledge this is from God. Unless we fail to realize that anything good we have, and, and maybe, you, maybe you're in a season of life you feel very blessed right now. Enjoy it. That's a gift from God, but know this. God's the one that brought you there. Maybe you've experienced some great success in a certain, in a certain area of, of maybe where you work or just this phase of life. Or maybe you had certain goals and you hit these goals. And the temptation is to think, I did it on my own. Just hard work and dedication. Nothing wrong with hard work and dedication, but recognize this. God's the one that gave you that strength. God's the one that brought you to that point. God gave it to you, and here's the thing. God can take it away. You know, it's amazing because sometimes you'll hear like professional athletes when like they're being interviewed, and it's always refreshing when they give praise to God, amen? Isn't that awesome when they use that platform for the glory of God? But there's times where it's just like you're, you're a little bit, um, like you're kind of cringing a little bit when you hear like just this arrogance of, oh, look at what I've done. Look at how, how powerful I am. So, some of you guys, like, we, we like to watch UFC and kind of follow some of that. And especially with those guys. I mean, those guys just have these huge egos. And that's just kind of part of, the, um, part of that atmosphere and lifestyle is like, I mean, you kind of have to have some confidence, right? Like you're going into an octagon, fighting another, another trained dude. But it just amazes me. It's like, these, these guys, they're such great athletes. They're so strong, but... Guys, don't you realize, like, you're one injury away from never being able to do that again? You are one injury away from, from all that strength and self-confidence from having none of it. You would think there'd be a little more humility, right? You would think that we would act with a little more humility knowing that, you know what, anything good we've accomplished, anything that God's done in our life, or anything that we see and look at is like good things— that came from God. And you know what? God can take it away. And maybe God will take it away. And again, that doesn't mean that like he's punishing you. It might be for another purpose. But the point here is this. Don't be arrogant. Don't be arrogant. Humble yourself so God doesn't have to humble you. It's much better when we choose to be humble rather than being humiliated. And we've all been there, right? We've all come to that point where, oh man, I, maybe I wasn't as prepared for this. Maybe I, maybe I wasn't as, as strong or as mighty as I thought that I was. I remember, well, there's multiple personal examples that I could give, but I remember the first time I signed up for a jiu-jitsu tournament. This was about eight, nine years ago. And man, I had been doing it for a short time and I was like, man, I got this. Wow, I was humbled really quickly. And not only that, but they put me with these supposedly beginners at jiu-jitsu. But these guys were wrestlers. These guys have been wrestling for years and years, which I thought was unfair. But the point is this. It's like, it's amazing. It's amazing how certain things in life God can just kind of bring you down a notch. No, no, you're, you're maybe not as strong or maybe not as confident, maybe not as powerful as you think. But here's the reality. Be humble. Be humble. Humble yourself so God doesn't have to humble you. And again, all of us struggle with that in some way. All of us struggle with that, that pride. And, and maybe, 
maybe you, you're here and thinking like, no, I don't struggle with that. But then that, that's even a form of pride itself, of thinking we don't struggle with pride. We should be constantly pursuing that humility. Again, that doesn't mean you can't have some confidence and, and, and feel like because God has put you in a, a place and God's enabled you, that's fine. Just recognize that comes from God. Recognize God could take it away if he wanted. So use it for his glory. Use it for his glory. Amen. It, humble yourself. And when God humbles us, you know what he does it, why he does it? To show us we need him. To show us how reliant we should be upon him. God humbles us to show us that uh, we need him. Anything we've built, it's because God's empowered or enabled us to do that. And then lastly, in conclusion, see this. People can change. This is what's so amazing to me about this account here in Daniel 4. This is probably the thing that stands out the most to me. Is how God changes the heart of this pagan king. Nebuchadnezzar is this brutal pagan who, who gets his way by might and by force. He terrorizes people. This guy throws people into fiery furnaces. See, Babylon didn't just go and attack Judah once. But it was multiple times. One particular time, they take a king, King Zedekiah, and they bring his sons. And, and he has his sons murdered before his very eyes. This guy is ruthless. This guy is brutal. And then he puts out King Zedekiah's eyes. He cuts his eyes out. So the last thing King Zedekiah ever sees is his sons being murdered before his eyes. This is what Babylon did. This is the brutality of people like Nebuchadnezzar. But God changes a heart like Nebuchadnezzar. And what this tells me is this. God can change anyone. Now, yes, we have to come to that point where we're going to humble ourselves and we actually want to change. And we want that help. And we want God to change us. But don't think you're too far gone. Don't, don't think that person that you're praying for that has no interest in the gospel, maybe they're even hostile towards it. They're not too far gone. It would be like equivalent today of like, this is kind of on our mind because Netflix just put out the, the, the documentary of Jeffrey Dahmer. Have you guys seen, anybody seen that? It's kind of dark, right? Like I haven't, I haven't personally watched that, but, um, but Taryn and I, last night we were watching an interview from the pastor that baptized Jeffrey Dahmer. And this pastor, they had this interview. If you, um, if you, uh, you or go on YouTube and if you just type in, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, Jeffrey Dahmer's pastor interview, the, uh, the individual that interviewed him is a Christian apologist. He has a channel called, uh, what do you meme? M E M E. What do you meme? Um, and he interviews this pastor and was asking him, Hey, like, you know, I know a lot of people are thinking about this and a lot of people are very skeptical. Like, is this guy, I mean, could he really be saved? And he interviews the pastor. And you know what the pastor said? He said, I don't know his heart. He's like, but I feel like he was sincere. He said, I witnessed a change and I know there's some uh, different, uh, uh, different reports of like, you know, was he truly or not? And ultimately we don't know, but here's the thing. Are we okay with that? Are we okay with the fact that if Jeffrey Dahmer truly was sincere, 
this mass murderer, that he could come to faith in Christ, that God could change his heart. Now, just a simple prayer of a deathbed confession where there's no true repentance, like that doesn't mean anything. I totally get that, right? You're not saved by repeating some prayer. It, is a, it comes from a genuine heart of faith that surrenders to God. But are we okay with the fact that someone like Jeffrey Dahmer could be in heaven? I hope so, because the best we can tell, Nebuchadnezzar actually turned to faith in God. I know that leaves us with a lot of questions, and we're not going to you know, dive into all those apologetic questions that, that come up about something like that, but ultimately, here's the truth. Don't underestimate the power of God, of how God can change anyone. Maybe there's somebody in, in your life right now that you're just, you've given up hope on. You've given up hope. Oh, they're, they're never going to change. They've heard the gospel. They've heard about God. God's even done some pretty powerful things in their life. And if they haven't yet, they're not going to. But that's what we see with Nebuchadnezzar. He saw some powerful things. I mean, for crying out loud, like after you see th these young men survive a fiery furnace and you see the angel of the Lord in the fiery furnace, like you would think that would be quite enough. But God still gives them another chance. God keeps pursuing them. And the reality is this, you can't change the will of someone else and you can't make them want to trust Christ, but you don't know how God's working. You don't, don't give up hope. And don't feel like you yourself are beyond hope. Because the fact that you're here today, maybe you're watching online right now. The fact that you even had the desire to listen this long to a very long sermon. I think is evident that there's a hunger there. That God's doing something. People can change. God can change the hardest of hearts. We see him do that with Nebuchadnezzar. So don't give up hope. Don't give up hope on someone. Because people can change. God can change hearts. Let's